listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Does your church get this wrong? What in the world are we talking about? Well, I will say that, and when I shared it on my Facebook, I wrote this, probably 80% or more of churches get this wrong. And I travel, so I know. I've been to a lot of churches. And um, this is not to slam the church. It's just to make a point that people, you know, I was having a, a good conversation recently with uh, praise and worship leader extraordinaire Dave Condon, who leads praise and worship at uh, Champion Christian Center in Washington, Pennsylvania. And one of the things Dave and I were talking about was, and he's recording right now, they've dropped an album, an EP, they're dropping singles, different things like that. Sounds really great. Anointed worship. Um, if you have not uh, checked that out yet, it's available on all streaming platforms and uh, and you can get a hold of it if you'll search. What do, what do they call that? Is it Champion Worship? Well, how would they search the name of the... Champion Christian Center? Somebody's in the comments can tell me. I'm sorry that I don't know. I should know. But Tiffany can find out real quick. Um, but what's the name of the EP? The EP is so good. I shared it on my Instagram. But one of the things that I like about it, of the type of praise and worship that they do and, and what they commonly do, is, and this is what we talked about, is that even when they're worshiping, I mean, they praise, they'll praise, and the power of God is, is hitting hard. Um, but when they worship, even the worship has a praiseful feel to it. Even the worship has a praiseful breakthrough feel to it. And um, it's anointed. It is fantastic. It's never. Uh, so here, here's the issue that I'm talking about today. You go to many of these churches and so many, so many praise and worship leaders and teams, they make the mistake of falling into this slow, draggy, defeated worship. And one of the things that I want to talk about, because this, this is not just about the church, this is about your personal praise and worship life. So we know that God has a system. We know that he has uh, a method, not just a system and a method, but he has an order. God has an order. For those of you that are watching, put this in the comments today. God has an order. This is so important that we catch this. God has an order. And um, Leslie's putting that in the comments. I love that song too. That, that song that they do, my God has never failed and he ain't going to stop right now. I mean, we jammed that out during the, uh, during the, the revival when we were there, my God has never failed and he ain't going to stop right now. That's, it's, it's a great, great song. All the stuff they're doing very anointed. Um, but notice that God has an order. God has an order. God has a system. 
And so you can't go around God's order. That's right. Everybody's putting in the comments, put it in the comments. God has an order. You can't go around God's order, his own system. The Bible says, and even in the old Testament, he had this same order, the same system where the Bible says that we're to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. If you look at the old Testament tabernacle, you know that there was an outer court, there was an inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where the priest would go. Uh, and that's what we're referencing here. You come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Britt, can you put the uh, the name of the album up? Because I don't know why, for some reason, it just slipped my mind and I can't remember it. Uh, the, the album that they dropped there. So awesome. The EP. And they got more coming and it's all good. But we come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Worship would be the last step. But it would not ever come, oh, champion worship, she said. If you search champion worship and the EP, the title, Count on You. That's it. That's the name of the EP, Count on You, champion worship. So, and I encourage all of you to stream that, all of you to get it. In fact, don't just stream it, buy it on iTunes, buy it on whatever. Buy it. Buy it. Champion worship, count on you. Um, but let me say this worship would have been the last step in the process, not the first step. And, um, it's really crazy because, uh, I, I notice this when I go to different places and it becomes harder and harder for people to engage in the spirit of God. Remember this verse of scripture. Okay. This will help you. The Bible says that God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so let, let me, let me break this down. God is a spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Two things that need to be a part of your worship. You need to worship by the spirit and in truth. So how do I break those things down? Well, first of all, when I talk about they must worship him in spirit, you know, one of the things that uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians is that those, first of all, he says this, don't be drunk with wine for that is excess, but be filled with the spirit. And then he describes what people who are filled with the spirit will do. They will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody to the Lord in their hearts. So apparently there is a type of praise and a type of worship that is spirit-led, that is spirit-filled. And then there's a type truly that is soulish. That is, uh, it comes from your soul. It's carnal. It's carnal. We're going to talk about this because this is something that needs to be a part of your life personally. This just doesn't have to do with your church and church worship team, but so many get it wrong. Then I'm using it as an example. So we've got carnal, soulish worship and praise, 
And then we've got spirit-filled or spirit-led praise and worship. And one of the things that is assigned to you is um, when you look at things that are soulish, things that are carnal, they will, many times, they'll be based on or focused on those that are there or the failures of man, or they'll be based upon uh, soulish and carnal thoughts. There's a problem when our worship and our praise is based or focused on us. That's a problem because that's not what praise and worship is truly. Praise and worship is focused on him. It's focused on the power of God. And, um, you know, I, I hear, uh, you know, I'll hear worship leaders, worship teams, even when people stand to, you know, quote unquote, exhort the crowd or, you know, they, they might talk to the people before they start a song or they give a little, uh, a mini, um, I don't even know. I, I, I wouldn't call it an exhortation because it doesn't exhort the people, but, uh, it doesn't encourage anybody. But have you ever been in one of those services where it's like someone gets up and they're like, how many know it's a hard week? How many know, you know, we're really struggling. How many of you struggled to get here? How many of you are struggling, you know, and God just knows how to cuddle us up in the midst of our struggles. You know, you ever been in one of those services before where it's like, it's focused on our weakness and focused on our own insignificance and focused on our, and it's so, uh, it's so off putting because, and it's out of place because it's not focused on God. It's not focused on the goodness of God. It's not focused on the power of God. You know, it blows my mind because when Paul, (laughs) when Paul is even telling us how we should think, right? Or what we should focus our, uh, (laughs) our mind on our thoughts on, uh, he's very specific. Are you ready for this? Philippians chapter four and verse eight. He's very specific about this. Paul said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then in another place, he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So you've got these two commands from the apostle Paul here in Philippians. And then he says in another place, I believe it's Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. So the moment you begin to focus on the carnal, what's going on, what we're struggling, we're hurting, how many are you? When you focus on that, those are, those are not things above. And, and not only that, notice that, uh, here he said, um, if there's any, uh, whatever is just, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is true. So, you know, you have to either, you have to either say that the Bible is a lie or you can focus on the natural. Let me give you an example of what I mean. For example, people get up and talk about how much they're struggling, how much, well, the Bible says you're seated in heavenly places with Christ. It says you're far above all principalities and powers and rulers and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. It says that God has put all thing, uh, things under your feet because you are the body of Christ. And so 
He, it, it goes on to say, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So either those things are true or the, the carnal thoughts are true. We're struggling. We're hurting. How many know? You can focus on that carnal realm, or you can focus on what the word of God says. Now, which one of those do, things do you think is more encouraging will actually build your faith? Which one of those things do you think is beneficial to the body of Christ. Well, it's going to be what the scripture says. And so, uh, you know, as a praise and worship leader, when I was a music director for all those years, I made up my mind, I'm never going to make statements, especially from the platform, uh, that focus on the natural realm. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. I'm not going to get up there and focus. If you ever hear me talking about something that you know, people waiting for a miracle or whatever it might be. My focus in those things is upon the fact the anointing's here tonight. The power of God's here tonight. You're getting ready to receive a touch from God. His power is already moving behind the scenes. As we praise him, get ready for a breakthrough. It's always pointing toward the answer of God. It's never pointing toward the, um, it's never pointing toward the insignificant or insufficiency of the flesh and the carnal nature. How many know we're all just sinners saved by grace? We sin all the time. You know, it's never, it's never focused on that. What is it focused on? The power of God. It's focused upon his greatness, his goodness, his miracle working power. Even if I'm worshiping, same thing, same thing. And I like that because my worship is in spirit. So that means it's spiritually focused. That means that I am, I'm coming from a place of the spirit, not from a place of the flesh. That's a big point that people need to get because fle- I don't, I don't even know that. I mean, first of all, not only is it contradictory to the scripture, but it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't, it has no spiritual benefit staying in the carnal realm, focusing on the carnal realm it has no spiritual benefit. We don't set our minds on those things. We set our minds on things above, not on things of this earth. That's a command, by the way. That's a command. Things of this earth. Nope. Things above. And so you've got to make, make up your mind. Well, what well, you say, well, doesn't it seem like you're just nitpicking? There's people that actually think that kind of stuff. Well, you do, it seems to me like you're just nitpicking. Now, I'm not nitpicking. I'm doing what the Bible says to do. I'm doing what the Bible says to do. And so what ends up happening to people is, is that if you focus totally on soulish things, if you're always focused on the insufficiency of man, if you're always focused on the carnal realm, if you're always focused on the attack of the devil, you're not focused on the power of God. You're not focused on his good. You know, I, I like to use this. I like to use this, something that the psalmist wrote. The Bible says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So let's talk about that for a minute. You've heard me say this, but I I have to say it. You know, I use this analogy because it really helps people to understand this. God does not change ever. The Bible says, He told his own people in Malachi, I am the Lord, your God. I don't change. I don't change. Malachi chapter three. Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ is the same 
yesterday, today, forever. God doesn't change. Christ doesn't change. So if that's the key, then think about this. If uh, he doesn't change, God doesn't change, Christ doesn't change, the Holy Spirit doesn't change, then uh, neither does his greatness change in any way. There can be no characteristic or element of God that changes. He doesn't change. He is the same. If sin made him mad 2,000 years ago, it still makes him mad today. If holiness makes him happy today, it still makes him happy. If he desired to bless his children back then, he still does today. If he desired to heal them back then, still does today. He, he, his nature doesn't change. His character doesn't change. It's all the same. So uh, when, when the psalmist writes, let, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Do you honestly think that if we magnify God, that he's going to somehow become greater? No. Me magnifying God doesn't change God. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. Do you think that when we exalt his name, that his name goes to a higher place? <laughs> it absolutely does not. The Bible, of course, we know the name of God is so powerful. It is so exalted. Jehovah, Yahweh is his name. And it's, that name is so powerful, so strong, but, but go on further. The name of Jesus, God, Philippians tells us God highly exalted him and gave unto him a name that is above every other name. Get that. It's a name that is above every other name. So do we honestly think that when we exalt his name together, that his name is going to a higher place? Absolutely not. His name's not going to a higher place. We're not lifting his name higher. It's as high as it can go. It's the, the greatest name. There's no name above that name, right? And so what's actually happening when we magnify the Lord and we exalt his name together? The analogy that I've always given is that if you had a magnifying glass, and you magnified something with it, what's it going to do? It doesn't make the thing bigger. You can magnify a coin. You can magnify a stamp. There's all kinds of things. Print on a newspaper, but it doesn't make the thing any bigger. But what does it do? It makes your view of it bigger. It makes your view of it bigger. If you were to set up a telescope in your room, out the window, looking at the stars, looking at the moon, whatever it might be. When you look through that telescope, those things are all the same size they've always been, but your view of them changes. Here's the other thing. When you look into that telescope, it only gives you a view of what you've got it pointed at. This is a big, big point that I want you to catch today. When you look into that telescope, it only gives you a view of what you've got it pointed at. In fact, all the other things around you in the room, they disappear from your view. This is big, man. I wish people would get this. They disappear from your view. Why? Because you have changed your focus and you've put it on 
something that's greater than what's immediately in your room. So the same thing happens when you magnify the Lord. He doesn't change, but our view of him changes. We begin to see his intricacies. We begin to see his details. We begin to see all of his different methods of blessing us and his goodness and his miracles, past, present, and future. We start to begin to see all those things because we've set our focus on what? What Paul said, what is true? What is true? He is more true than any situation that you might be facing. God is. His presence is more true. That's why I've always said this, that uh, the truth is different than the facts. I've always said this. Facts can change, but the truth remains the same. So I always encourage people that if somebody is dealing with an issue, might be a, a diagnosis from a doctor, might be something going on in your family, it might be something in your marriage, it might be something in your finances, whatever. We're not denying that those are happening. We're not denying that those are facts. What are we saying? That the truth of God's word can change those facts. Well, the only way that something can change another thing is if it is uh, greater than it, right? The only reason that darkness has to be dispelled by any form of light is because any form of light is greater than full darkness. I want to give you an example on that. Any form of light is greater than the deepest darkness. Here's the example I'll give you. Let's say you went into a church sanctuary at two in the morning, no windows, everything's closed. All lights are off. It is so pitch black that you can't see your hand in front of your face, right? Somebody could stand in the back of that auditorium. You could be on the platform. And that person in the back could pull out a little Bic lighter and light that thing and let a tiny little flame burn in the back of that auditorium. The moment that that tiny flame is lit, you start to see details of that room. You'll start to see things shining in reflection. You'll be able to again see your hand in front of your face. It's not a bonfire. It's not even an LED light. It's not even a flashlight. It's a small Bic lighter that's been lit. And there was the deepest darkness that could be was in that room. But the smallest amount of light overcame the darkness. You see that. And so, in fact, that's what the Bible says in John chapter one. It said that uh, the light in him was the light and the light was in him was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shined in the darkness and the darkness, the King James says, comprehended it not. But that's, that's really not, that's not that great of a translation for people that don't understand what's going on here. It says, and the light uh, shined in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. What does that mean to the average person? Nothing. If you were asking the average person, they would say, well, what do you mean? The darkness didn't understand the light. It couldn't comprehend it. No, that's not what it's talking about. And the Bible says, uh, 
verse, this is John 1, 5, for anybody that's wondering. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hallelujah. The darkness has not overcome it. Why? Because that light that is in him is far greater than any darkness. And so the darkness can't overcome it because the thing, there always has to be a greater element and a lesser element. The truth is the greater element. Facts are the lesser element. So the moment you begin to put your focus on the truth, the truth can change those facts so that they're no longer the facts. (laughs) which is why we have all these testimonies that we have of cancer disappearing and tumors disappearing and blind eyes coming open and all the things we see happen. What happened? Those were really facts. They were facts. They were diagnosed. They were really happening. But the truth changed the facts, which always blows my mind then why people choose to focus on the facts that are negative versus the truth that could change those things. Why do people focus on that in their worship and in their praise? Why do they focus on that? Why do people get carnal and soulish in their worship and in their praise? How many know it's been a hard week, amen? How many know that there's so much going on with our families, but God just wants us to know? He's holding us through the storms. He's holding us through the storms. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus never held any of his disciples through the storms. He rebuked the wind and the waves and then rebuked them for not rebuking the wind and the waves, for waking him up. God doesn't hold you through the storms. He rebukes storms. He changes the course of events. It's not that Daniel went into the lion's den and God gave him supernatural peace as the lions were eating him. That's not what happened. God shut the lion's mouths. It's not that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, but God gave them peace as they gave their lives and burnt up in the fire. No, he took the heat out of the fire and walked in there with them, you see. And so there's a difference. And that's why we don't focus in our worship and in our praise. And I'm telling you, so many churches do this wrong. They do it wrong. I can't even tell you. Uh, I've told people this, which is one of the reasons we started the worship summit. But when you're praising and worshiping God, one thing you've got to recognize is we're not even in position to worship God until we've sufficiently praised him. Get this in your spirit. We are not in position to worship God until we have sufficiently praised him. Why? Because praise comes first. Thanksgiving comes first. Worship doesn't come first. It's the last in the chain. It's the last in the chain. It's Thanksgiving. It's praise. It's worship. Come into his gates with Thanksgiving, then into his courts with praise, and then into the Holy of Holies. That's the worship place. But you can't do it uh, in flesh. You can't do it carnally. You do it in the spirit. And the spirit, notice, if you'll make this a priority, everything changes. Everything changes. Do you realize if we would do this properly, there were, there would be things we don't even have to pray about. This will blow people's minds to hear this. If we would do this, uh, properly. Yeah. And, and, and Yaniel's is mentioning my sandwich analogy. Cause I talk about a, a Thanksgiving and praise sandwich in prayer. What does that mean? 
the two pieces of bread on the either side of my meat are what? Number one, thanksgiving and praise for what he already has done. Then I make my request known unto God. And then on the other side, the other piece of bread is thanksgiving and praise for what he's about to do. So I start by praising and thanking. I end by praising and thanking. My requests are in the middle. Why? Because I understand God's system. I come into his gates with thanksgiving. I don't just barge into the king's courtroom and start making demands. That's not what I do. I come in the right way with thanksgiving. I come in with praise. And then I make my requests known unto God. I always do it that way because it's the scriptural way. And one of the things that you'll see, it's like I, I've, I've given people not, you know, it's not, they're not my, you know, workers or my, my staff. So I have not harsh rebukes, but I've talked to people after I said, bro, I'm telling you, don't start your pray. Don't start your church, church services with worship. Don't start your church services with worship. The people that are there aren't even ready to worship yet. We have to praise first. We have to sufficiently thank and praise God for his goodness. Their hearts aren't ready. You realize praise, it actually prepares your heart. We don't just arbitrarily do it because that's what they've always done in church for so many years is do music and then we do preaching. That's not why we do what we do. It's because the average person is not ready to receive the word of God into their spirit according to scripture. If you read the parable of the sower that Jesus talked about, he said there are people that the word is sown into their hearts, but they, their hearts are thorny ground, which is people who uh, the cares of this world, the heaviness of this world grows up and chokes out the seed of the word so they can't receive any of it. So notice that. How do you get rid of the cares of this world? How do you get rid of that heaviness? Well, the Bible says that God has given unto us, book of Isaiah, chapter 61, he's given unto us a garment of what? Praise for, in exchange for, the spirit of heaviness. We've got a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Another point I'll make with people a lot is Psalm 16. In his presence is fullness of what? Joy. Joy dispels heaviness. Joy dispels. So notice this. If we've got this garment of praise that is in exchange for a spirit of heaviness, if in his presence is fullness of joy, how do we get into his presence? Well, he inhabits, as people are writing in the comments, he inhabits the praises of Israel. So the moment you begin to praise him, you're in his presence. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And that praise causes heaviness to lift off of you has to lift off of you. Absolutely. It does. And so what are we doing? It's not arbitrary. It's not random. It's like, well, you know, tradition has told us that over the years, the best way to start a church service is by singing. No, it's a scriptural, it's a scriptural system. I start that way because that's the way God said to start. And it's, it has a purpose to it. It puts us in position to receive the word of God. Uh, the other way, what, what happens the other way is this. If you focus on the flesh, because I'm getting ready to get into this, uh, you focus on the flesh and what takes place. I can only get fleshly harvests from fleshly seeds. <laughs> That's what Paul taught. He says that those that sow 
into the flesh or the carnality, that's what they reap. I'm talking, I'm referencing Galatians chapter six. Listen to what he said. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. You can't sow flesh seeds and expect to get spiritual harvests. Doesn't work that way. A seed reproduces after its own kind. You cannot sow flesh seeds and expect spiritual harvest. By the way, that was Galatians chapter six, I believe verse eight. You can't sow flesh seeds and expect spiritual harvest. It's got to be spiritual. You got to do it by the spirit. So those that worship him must worship him in spirit. And then what? In truth. This is why I'm very careful to make sure that the things that I use to praise God, the songs that I sing, the things that I say, all of those different things, I got to make sure that they're biblically based, that I'm not singing something that's not found in the Bible, that I'm not, uh, you know, the worst thing ever would be to, to uh, defame God's character <laughs> with songs that we sing. Defamation. Like, for example, the one that was popular for years. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Singing something that Job said in complete ignorance, which he was then rebuked for, so that by the end of the book of Job, he says, I spoke about things I had no idea about. <laughs> and we got worship leaders singing it like it's the greatest revelation on the face of the earth. He gives and takes away. And then Job, then Elihu gets up and rebukes Job for three chapters. And when he's done, God comes in and says, I got this now. Let me, and, and he rebukes Job. And Job's like, oh yeah, you know what? I was, I was talking about stuff I had no idea about, but we take it and snatch it up and we start to sing it. I, I was in a, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. It was so ticking me off for so many years. I was so sick of that stupid song and the stupid faces of people that sang it. Anyway, I was in a church getting ready, um, <laughs> Ava said, how do I send this to my worship leaders without sending it to them? <laughs> Anonymously. Start an anonymous burner account and just start blast sending it to everybody. I was in a church and I was in this church uh, getting ready to preach. And um, as I was getting ready to preach, you know, when I, when I first started traveling, I used to have people uh, or churches, they'd say, Hey, Brother Ted, I know you're a worship leader and everything. When, I, when you come for revival, are there any songs that you'd like our teams to do? And this was a common, I'd get this question all the time. Are there any songs that you'd like our teams to do? And I'd always say, no, you guys just go ahead and do your thing. You know, I'll just flow with whatever you're doing. Uh, there's no specific songs that I'd like you to learn or do. Just kind of do what you always do and I'll just, I'll flow with you. After years of doing that, People would call me and say, are there any songs you'd like us to do? And I changed my response because although I still don't really care what songs you do, I do care about songs that I don't want you to do. So I'd be like, 
yeah, you can do whatever songs you want, except don't sing these. And I would just tell him flat out, don't sing He Gives and Takes Away. Even that song, I Believe That You're My Healer. I hated that song. Hated it with a passion. And could never figure out why I hated the song. Because the words seem to be right. I believe you're my healer. I believe you are all I need. I believe you're my portion. You're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need. So the words were right, but I could never understand why I hated the song with a passion. I hated it. It's like I would announce this honestly, honest to God. This shows you how your spirit can pick up on worship that's done in spirit and truth and worship that is carnal or fleshly or soulish. And um, I, I was listening to that and I, I didn't know anything about it and I'd hear it and I'd announce at churches, tomorrow night we're gonna have a healing service. I'm gonna be laying hands on the sick and it wouldn't fail. The worship team, every single place I would go would sing that stupid song, I Believe You're My Healer. And it, was, it would bother me. It's like it would grate against my spirit. There was no faith in the song. And then I went back and heard the original person that did it. There was no faith when they did it. And then there was no faith when any praise and worship team would do it that I ever heard. It's almost like the faith and the anointing would just get sucked right out of the room. No, no lie. I don't know if you've ever heard that song, but it's like, I believe you're my healer. I believe. You are so sad. No victory, no faith. Well, I find out later, I didn't know this at the time. I find out later that the dude that wrote it was coming out on the platform every week with no hair, hair gone, had a like oxygen tank that he'd pull out with oxygen under his nose and he'd sing it like he was, you know, singing his testimony telling everybody that he had cancer and that I think his dad was the pastor. He was the worship leader telling everybody he had cancer and all this stuff. And they raised money uh, for him through the church and all this stuff for his cancer. Turned out later, it was all a big lie. He didn't have cancer. They had to return all the money from what I understood. They had to return all the money to the donors that donated money. It's just that he had a pornography addiction And the pornography addiction was causing him, like it was affecting his body. You talk about an unclean spirit when you're, when you're so unclean that your pornography addiction is causing you to lose your hair and like lose weight. And like you're dying from a pornography addiction. And, uh, you know, this, and this was the song he'd always pull out. And I could never, I didn't know any of those things. I didn't know any of that story when all those, all those churches I'd go to and the song would just grate against my spirit. And I couldn't understand why. Now I understand why. Now I would tell people, don't sing that song. Change it to another song. Because that one sucks. It sucks. And now we know why it sucked. Because of the spirit of the person that wrote it. Not because Jesus is not a healer. Not because he's not all we need. Not none of those things. The words were right, but it was the spirit with which the person wrote it. And the same with the, 
You know, he gives and takes away. Yeah, because God's out to take things away from you, to destroy your life. You know, he's out to steal your health. So anyway, back to the story. I, uh, I was at this church and I was getting ready to have another one of those type of services where I was going to preach on the goods and all this. I had a, a miracle message ready to go. And there, here goes the band. Here goes the band. It was a Sunday morning. He gives and takes away. I got so ticked off. I was in Maine, by the way. I sat down on the front row, pulled out my notebook and Bible and wrote a whole message while they were doing that song. I wrote a whole message on the front row titled, he gives and takes away. And then I stood up after that song was sung and I preached with a fire on he gives and takes away. And I preached first on all the things he gives, long life, healing, blessing, provision, righteousness, strength, peace, joy. And then I preached on all the things he takes away, sickness, shame, poverty, lack, brokenness, anxiety, fear, disease. I went through it. And that's, and then, and I did it and it was, it was a a form of a rebuke because you know, the way people sing it, they sing it in the context with which Job sang it. Well, my family's been stolen. My livestock's been stolen. My life is destroyed, but you know, he gives and takes away. Hallelujah. And then he got rebuked for it. And there's people singing it, a bunch of geniuses singing that. And so I just lit it up because I'm not going to sit around and defame God's character defamation. Somebody put it in the comments earlier. You know, you can get sued for defamation. Absolutely. You can. So why would I do something to God that it's illegal to do to another person in your country? Why are there Christians running around defaming his character and his nature? And there are, there absolutely are. So it's not just, uh, we worship him in spirit, but also what in truth, What is truth? The word of God is truth. The word of God is truth. And so when I worship him in truth, what that means is I worship, my worship and my praise are aligned with what the Bible says. I'm not just making up things that sound good. I'm singing, I'm praising with what the Bible already says. Amen. That's why, you know, and people, you know, they laugh. These word of faith people are always changing the words of worship songs. That's because really, and sometimes they're stupid. Why would you want to contradict God's word with, with a song? You know, so I, I did a podcast one time back when I was only doing podcasts, audio. And the podcast was called, Are We Singing Unscriptural Worship Songs? It was at the time, it was by far the most listened to episode I had ever released in the history of podcasting. And I broke down scripturally reckless love in that podcast. I broke down uh, the lyrics versus what the scripture teaches. And, um, and, and I, and I went through it first of all, and people, you know, people laugh and say, Oh, well, you're just, you're nitpicking and stuff like that. 
It's like, no, I understand the Bible. You know, for example, to, to claim that God's love or Christ's love was reckless means one of two things. And, and this is all it could mean. It means number one, you don't understand the omnipotence of God and the omniscience of God. That's the first thing it could mean. You don't understand the omniscience of God. Or number two, it means that you don't understand the scriptural principle of seed time and harvest. It's one of those two things. And that's all it can be. Let me say this again, very briefly. Those two things are all it can be, you know, that God's love was reckless, that Christ's love was reckless. It either means you don't understand. So look up the definition of reckless. It's somebody who's basically doing something without any, uh, they don't care about or know about the outcome of, uh, that will result from their actions. That's what being reckless is. You're doing something without any regard for the outcome of your actions. Just recklessly doing stuff. That is not what God's love was. That is not what Christ's love was. Do you honestly think, so for example, in order for God's love to be reckless, he would have had to take actions without knowing the outcome right? He would have had to take actions without knowing the outcome, which means you don't believe he's omniscient, that he knows the end from the beginning. Okay. Well, we know that's not true because we know he's an omniscient God. He's the alpha and the omega. He's still at the beginning. He's already at the end. He's eternal and he knows all things. So we know it can't be that. We know it's, it's not that he's not omniscient. So that means then that people don't understand the, the, the system of seed time and harvest, which is God's system that he set into place. Every action is a seed and it produces a harvest or a return. Do you realize that God sent Jesus, not recklessly, but for a purpose, for a purpose. He had a purpose for what he did to he was sent into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. First John three, eight, the son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was sent to do a job and he did the job. He didn't fail. He shed his blood for lost and dying humanity. Wasn't reckless. It wasn't reckless. He came to destroy the works of the devil. That was what his purpose was, and he accomplished his purpose. Wasn't reckless. We don't know what the end result's going to be, but we're just going to go ahead and send Jesus anyway. I don't know how I could make it any more plain, Jessica. Please help me. I don't know what churches are supposed to be doing first when the church service begins. Praising God. I don't understand these churches that start in this soulish, uh, draggy, carnal worship. We're not called to start off there. We are called to start with thanksgiving and praise to give God glory. And it blows my mind that people don't understand God's system. And I know they're just not taught. They just do whatever they feel like doing. And that's the problem. You can't follow your feelings. You can't follow your feelings. You have to do what 
the Bible says. You've got to do what the Bible says. <laughs> Maybe start from the beginning, Jessica, if you came in late. H. Rose on YouTube. Going to church is more dangerous. Going to church is dangerous. Scared face. I'm wondering if H. Rose is one of those people that drives down the road with two masks and a face shield and gloves by herself in a car with the windows all rolled up. If you think going to church is dangerous. (laughs) Protecting yourself from the invisible man. But I'm just telling you plain, it, it, this, there's many churches that make this mistake. And then what happens? What happens? You don't get the result that God wants you to have from the worship and the praise that he's due. Atreus <laughs> said, that's why I don't go to church anymore. They harm my soul. <laughs> I go out more broken afterwards. It might be time for you to find a new church. (laughs) It might be time to find a new church. Why would you keep going to church that's harming your soul? Because I think anybody else that's in the Victory Tribe that's watching or listening can raise their hand in agreement that church, it not only strengthens and builds you, it equips you and comforts you. And if you're in a church that doesn't do that, it's time to find a new church. Yeah, it's true. Here's your sign. Find a new church. And by the way, you can't not go to church and please God. Because going to church, going to church is a command in Scripture. So you can't just stay home and say, well, I love God. I just don't go to church. This is a a word for you, H. Rose, on YouTube. You can't just stay home and say you love God. Because Jesus said that the people who love him are the people who keep his commandments. And it is a command of scripture to attend church. But you've got to go to a church that's on fire. And one of the things that I've noticed is a, uh, a common denominator in churches that are on fire, churches that are moving forward. It's like I made that, uh, that's why I made that comment about at the beginning that Dave Condon and I were having that discussion about uh, breakthrough style praise and worship. I've noticed it's a common denominator in all the churches that I've been to that are thriving, growing, making an impact is that they are churches that praise and worship God in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in truth. They have any of the churches that I go to that are making an impact, that are on fire, that have a growing assembly of people that are doing what they're called to do. These are praising people. These are people that are giving God glory. They're not focused on the soul. They're not focused, uh, you know, on the carnal. They're not focused on the insufficiency of man. What are they focused on? They're focused on the goodness of God, the spirit of God, the power of God, the word of God. They put the focus on Christ and on God. Right? And that's the key. That is the key. He gets our focus. He gets our praise. He gets our worship. Why? He's the only one worthy. He's the only one worthy. I don't care about singing about me. That's ridiculous. 
I'm so broken, I'm so lost, I'm so hurting. It's like, dude, why are we singing about you? Why are we singing about us? (laughs) Worship's not directed at us, neither is praise not directed at us, it's directed to God. I'm always suspect of songs that are focused on people. I'm so, I'm unworthy, I am sinner, I'm in the, it's like, dry it up. <laughs> and I know this is kind of harsh for people. It's like, wow, he's pretty harsh. Yeah, because it's time to dry it up and get your focus back on God, get your focus back on Christ. Because people say, I don't know why we're not seeing the supernatural. Why aren't we seeing the supernatural? I'll tell you why. Because in order to see the supernatural, you have to engage the one who is supernatural. You focus on the one who is supernatural. You invite the one. You talk about his goodness. You talk about his power. You talk about, and by doing that, see, we invite his presence into our assemblies to do what he does. Who would, I I dealt with this in the podcast where I was, where I was talking about uh, the the songs that are we singing unscriptural worship songs? Who would want to stick around in a place where lies are always being told about them, where they're public publicly people are defaming them in an assembly? Can you imagine if I was um, you know, I'm just going to pick somebody out of the comments, like okay, Yanil, Yanil's in the comments. Can you imagine if every time I was the praise and worship leader at your church, and every time you came on Sunday, um. I, I, all I did was defame Yanil from the platform. Yanil's a thief. She steals from you. She takes everything you've got. And like all, the whole service was me defaming Yanil <laughs> and talking about how she's a thief and she always takes away from you. And every time I'm around her, I feel so broken. <laughs> it was like, Yanil's probably not going to keep coming back to the church. Why? Every time she comes, we defame her character. And I've always wondered, why would God want to continue in in an assembly of believers that just defame his character left and right? He's taken away from me. He's causing me to struggle for his glory. It's like, why would we want to do that to God, to defame his character? It's like, his word tells us who he is and what he does. Blows my mind. And that's what people are doing. And say, so, well, I don't know. We're not having a move of the spirit in our church. Pick me. I can tell you why. I can give you one of the reasons why you're not having a move of the spirit in your church. Because you can't have carnal, soulish, fleshly worship and expect God to move. Doesn't work. That's not how it works. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. All right. Well, let's break it away from just uh, uh, a church service. Let's break it to your home. Because truly, here's the key. Praise and worship is not limited to the four walls of the church. I hope and pray and believe that as a Victory Tribe member, you're praising God daily in your house. I would hope you're praising in the car. I would hope you're praising, you know, wherever you might be, I would hope you're giving God glory, not just in church services, but wherever you are and not ashamed to do so. Right. And so 
the same parameters apply to us. I mean, let me ask you a question. I mean, you can tell the person that doesn't have a, a, a daily worship. Okay, let me give you, here's an example. Here's, just like we talk about, uh, and people laugh when I talk about this, but how many of you have heard someone pray in public that you can tell doesn't pray at home? You know, you can tell. You don't have a prayer life. You don't talk to the Lord because when you do talk to him publicly, it's very awkward. And and Father God, we come to you now, Father God, and we ask you, Father God, to just move Father God upon us, Father God. And Father, it's like you can tell because it's super awkward. You don't talk to God often. You don't talk to God often. And so it's a problem because people can, they, they know it. They can see it. But do you know the same thing is true? I can look across a crowd of people when I'm at church and I can tell the ones that don't have a personal praise life. I can tell the ones that don't have a personal praise life because the power of God, even in our church, like I watch, uh, and our church is a good example because, uh, we've got great worship, great praise. The spirit of God's moving. I mean, it's powerful. I can't help myself from jumping, dancing, singing out, lifting my hands. I mean, it's, it's like, it pulls you right in the power of God's moving at our church. But I, I look across and there's people just like standing like, and I'm like, dude, I can tell you don't have a personal praise life. You don't have a personal praise life. If you st- if you're standing there with your hands in your pockets for 35 minutes as we're praising and worshiping God in that environment, especially you don't have a personal praise life. Then I look across the, the, the crowd at people that are just like giving it their all. And it's like, you can tell this is a person who has a relationship with God in which they praise when they're not in church. They worship when they're not in church. You can tell it, you can tell it. And it's like, man, you know, they've got a relationship with God. Same when you hear people pray, same when you watch people praise because they don't care. They could care less that people are watching them. They could care less. Now I'm not talking about the ones that like are only doing it because people are watching them because you can tell them too. You can tell them too. (laughs) H.R.O. says, church Churches are wolf clubs. <laughs> I've never been to a wolf club. Churches. You can tell the people that have it and the people that don't have it. Now, there's others that, you know, I tested somebody one time. They brought in their golf bag full of prophetic praise flags. And it's always makes me laugh that, uh, the people that have the praise flags and God bless you with your praise, but it's always, a, uh, it's a mystery to me. Did you ever notice? <laughs> Think about this. When was the last time you saw a personal size praise flag? When was the last time you saw like, you know, have you ever seen like on 4th of July at parades, they'll give people like those American flags that like the stick is this long and the flag is like this big. And, you know, as the parades go and people wave it like this, you know, they have the little American flag and they wave it like this. Did you ever notice there's no prophetic praise flags that are that size? 
Did you ever notice that there, there's not, they're always like on a massive pole and people are like waving them like, you know. And did you ever notice that those people always have to be right in front of the entire crowd at the altar, running back and forth, running back and forth in the front of everybody that's trying to worship the Lord. Meanwhile, we're trying to, yeah, praise flag is always the look at me size, Eric said. It's true. Look at me, look at me. It's so true. But did you ever notice it's always, they got to do it right in front of everybody so everybody can see them. And I, t- I tested out the spirit one day, the spirit of the person who was prophetically praising. And I said to an usher, tell them to please do that in the back of the room so they're not a distraction, everybody else watching. Oh, and when he told them that, you should have seen how offended. You should have seen how angry they got. They jammed their flags back in their bag and they stomped out of the church. Might have been a sign that you weren't praising in spirit and in truth. <laughs> Little sign that nobody can even give you any instruction before you get offended and stomp out of the church. Um, and it's absolutely true that... Uh, it's, it's, it's for attention. Many times people do things for attention and it's not pointing the glory to God, pointing the glory to Christ. It's putting it on yourself. That's how you know it's out of place and it's out of line. So you have to watch because the things that I'm talking about are the things that bring the presence of God into your life and into your church is that when we're not, we're not trying to take the attention away from God, we're trying to give the attention to God. And I tell people, you know, Um, if you are sitting there doing something in the middle of a service that's distracting and takes all the attention, that's not God. If the pastor's preaching, if something's happening and you just start doing something to take all the attention, I've seen it. People start yelling out. Pastor's just teaching from the word. You know, it's like, it's probably not the Holy Ghost. He's not going to distract from his own word being taught, but, but on the other side, nobody ever talks about this side. If everybody's giving God praise and everybody's shouting and everybody's dancing and you're sitting at your seat like this, you're also out of line. You're also out of line because you are also taking away from what is going on in the house of God. At that moment, if it's a moment of praise and you're standing and saying, I refuse to praise God. Well, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. And you can always tell people that do not have a personal praise life, a personal worship life. And so you've got to be careful of that. But it's in spirit and in truth. We do it not in the soul, in the spirit realm. We do it according to scripture. What happens when you begin to do this? When you begin to do it, when you begin to do it, the spirit of God begins to move. He promised to inhabit your praises. He promised to inhabit your praises. He promised that when you came into his presence, fullness of joy would overtake you. He promised that heaviness would have to leave you and lift off of you. He promised that as you begin to praise him, supernatural things would happen. Why do I say that? 
the Bible says, in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures that are in God's hand are set aside for those that stay in his presence. Those that'll praise him, those that'll worship him, those that will pray, those that will seek his face. The pleasures are set aside for you. But people who refuse to stay in his presence, you know, I, I know it's, it's not popular. I've said it multiple times and people get very, very angry about it. They get very angry. Very angry. But I've said it because of the scripture says it. Psalm 16. In God's presence is fullness of joy. So when people tell me, and this is not because I'm insensitive to those that are struggling, those that are battling. I'm not. I pray for people all the time. I minister to people nonstop. But if somebody tells me, a Christian, that they've gone three years in overwhelming depression, I have to wonder, based on scripture, is that how long it's been since you've been in the presence of God? Is that how long it's been since you've been in the presence of God? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. How can you be in fullness of joy and fullness of depression at the same time? It doesn't work. Something is up. Something is up. And we have to wonder, are we cultivating an atmosphere of thanksgiving and praise and worship that are spirit-led and they're scripturally based? And I'm just going to encourage you because what are we confessing for the final, now it's two and a half months. What are we confessing for the final two and a half months of 2021? That we are going to experience wonders, wonders. That is our confession and expectation. Don't worry, Rose. I'm going to pray for you before the broadcast is over. That is our expectation. It's our declaration. It's what we are looking forward to God doing wonders two and a half months of this end of this year wonders things that nobody can explain. Nobody can explain supernatural wonders. Hallelujah. Supernatural wonders. Thank you, Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for you here at the end of this broadcast. And let me just tell you, take time daily. If you're not doing this, do it. Don't just take time to read God's word. Take time to praise him. Take time to worship him. Not when you get to church in your own personal life. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you danced around your house? Truthfully, when was the last time you danced around the house with praise music on? You started just giving God praise. You just praised him in dancing. When's the last time you shouted in your house? When's the last time you lifted your hands and worshiped the Lord? When was the last time you engaged him in praise and worship in your own house? You see what I'm saying? Just as much as you'd think of praying, just as much as you'd think of reading God's word, praise him and worship him as well at home. Let your kids see you do it. Let your kids see you do it. Let them watch you. Let them understand that you love to praise the Lord. You love to give God glory. It's something that your family does by discipline. I'm going to pray for you. 
that God puts a fresh, you know, the Bible, there's nothing wrong with God giving you new praise. The Bible says in Psalm 40 and verse three, that, that we're to sing a new song unto the Lord, a song of praise unto our God. Many will see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. It's all right to have a new song. It's all right to have a new praise. You need one. And I'm going to pray today that God puts a new song in your mouth, a new praise in your heart, gives you a shout of victory. (laughs) Cece said, so much fun to do while cleaning and cooking too. Carolyn does it. We praise God in our house. I'm going to pray for you. Father, in Jesus name, I pray for those that have been struggling with heaviness, that have been struggling with anxiety and fear. I take authority over it in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm asking you, just like the psalmist wrote in Psalm 40, put a new song of praise in their mouth. Put a new praise in their spirit. Let it encourage, as they begin to praise you and worship you, encourage them, let them encourage themselves in the Lord, just like David did. I pray, Lord, that these last two and a half months would blow their minds with supernatural signs and wonders. Let this be the greatest end to a year that we've ever seen in the mighty name of Jesus, the greatest end of a year. Take all the glory for what you're about to do in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Let this be so supernatural that people's minds are blown. Those that don't even serve the Lord would see that it's you working. No man can do it. Only you can do it in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray pray for H. Rose on YouTube. I pray, Lord, she said she's a broken Christian. I pray you mend what's broken. Encourage your heart. Encourage your spirit. Lead her to a church that'll set her on fire. Lead her to a church that will encourage her spirit, that will equip her for what she's called to do. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd give us all supernatural leading in these last months. Before we move into 2022, our year of divine possession, I pray, Lord, that you would guide us perfectly, lead us perfectly in the wonderful name that's above every name, Jesus. We give you praise for it. We give you glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Dylan said, when I dance... It's like Colgate toothpaste, noticeably white. (laughs) Dylan's dances, his dance moves are noticeably white. And that's not racist because he's white and I'm white. So there you go. Um, (laughs) I know you're talking. Sometimes you got to just do the jump and wave, Dylan. The jump and wave. That'll get you every time. It's easy. It's easy to do. Those of you on this Friday, I want to encourage you to sow a seed. Information's on the screen and you go to miracleword.com and partner with us today and stand with Carolyn and with me as we're touching this final generation with the gospel of Christ. We just extended ourselves and now 90 million more homes in greater Asia. We've got um, our programs captioned so that people can read them in English because apparently more people there are reading English than understanding it when it's spoken. So in India, and we had people watching from India today, India, parts of Iraq, parts of China, uh, Philippines, Pakistan. It's amazing. It's amazing what God's doing. And you're a part of it. You're a part of it by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Tracy, for sending a seed. Uh, If you're on Facebook, you can use hashtag donate. Otherwise, go to miracleword.com. You can use PayPal, Cash App, Zelle. 
cryptocurrency even. There's many ways you can give. All of the ways are at MiracleWord.com. And if you want to partner with us, check out what's happening on the partner page, all that we're doing. Sign up and be a part of it. Listen, what the kids have done is that they've started character studies from the Bible. Every Wednesday, we've jumped into studying an individual from Bible stories. First week, it was Daniel. Last week, which was, what, two days ago, we've jumped into Esther. I believe Esther is this week's character uh, that we're doing and covering. The Bible studies are free. All the videos are free. If you don't have your kids involved yet, get them involved. It's awesome. Uh, And this week is Esther, Alex and Maddie, crushing it. And then, of course, the Last Gen podcast that just launched and uh, is now available on the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google. Uh, Subscribe. All of this info for students to equip them and get them ready for what God has planned for their life in the final generation of time. Today at 2 o'clock, Carolyn is back with you. It is Friday Favorites. They're all secrets. Nobody tells me what's going on. They just spend money, and then later they tell me what's been given away. Um, But also... Last announcement I'll tell you as you're giving today, and thank you for your seeds that you're sowing. Um, With the Victory Tribe homecoming weekend, for those that are now logged on that weren't at the beginning, we're cutting off the signups for the partner luncheon um, by this coming Monday, 8 o'clock is the last time you'll have to sign up to be a part of the luncheon. Uh, And what we have, we have. We have well over 100 people now signed up to be there. we got the large room. We're ready to go. But... You've got to do it before Monday because we need to give a final count to the hotel. We need to be ready to go. So if you're one of the stragglers that's waited until the last minute to sign up to be a part of the banquet, you got to do it now. Uh, if you've missed the email, if you missed the text, send an email to Jenna at MiracleWord.com. She'll help you get registered and, uh, and we'll get you going in time for the banquet. We want to see you on the Friday night, November the 12th. Uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Central Assembly of God. It's going to be a powerful Holy Ghost service. And uh, I love it. Starting Sunday, we're in Ontario, Ohio, Pastor David Renzel. And uh, we're going to have revival Sunday through Wednesday. Hope to see you there. All the details are on the website. Make a road trip. It's been great to see everybody coming to all the meetings this year. The Victory Tribe has turned up strong, very strong. I love you. Have a great weekend. I'll be back with you again soon. Carolyn's live today. Have a powerful one. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.